the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. ...their properties on social media and hoping the city, their co-op, condo board, or neighbors won't find out and shut them down. More travel info at armworldtravel.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land... We unleash the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. And a good morning to you. Thank you so much. We are underway at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday, the third morning of the first month in the year of our Lord 2024. Big day today. Got a couple of very important interviews. We're going to learn from somebody who's been down the road we are about to travel with respect to an override. Looking forward to that conversation. We're going to talk about the Second Amendment a little bit later on in the program and about whether or not states like California will be the first or the only to completely erase the rights of the people to keep and bear arms. John R. Lott will join us, Crime Prevention Research Center, Second Amendment advocate. Uh, and, of course, we got a lot of important news to discuss with you at 216 Our first guest won't be for an hour. So at 10.10 is when we're going to have Robin Lundstrom. Robin Lundstrom, by the way, is a state representative in Arkansas. Why am I talking to an Arkansas representative about an Ohio issue? If you asked yourself that question, the answer is because she helped pass the first version of the SAFE Act that was introduced and passed here in the state of Ohio in her state. Like our state, Arkansas had a very, very... Uh, rhino-y, almost left-wing governor who pretended to be a Republican, Asa Hutchinson, of course, who also wants to be president, or did. Uh, Asa Hutchinson in 2021 vetoed the SAFE Act to protect kids from mutilation in Arkansas, just like Mike DeWine did here. And in Arkansas in 2021, Robin Lundstrom and others led the fight to override that veto, which they did, bringing that law to existence in the state of Arkansas. So we're going to ask her what we can expect in this fight against Mike DeWine trying to override. The good news, by the way, and this is very, very good news, 
just literally woke up to this this morning. Representative Angie King tweeted out, um, the House has a full session on January 10th. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And then she uh, uh, tagged uh, at Jason C. Stevens in this HB 68, Save Women's Sports and Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act. And sure enough, she uh, included in this tweet, a copy of the message that was sent <clears throat> to all House members and staff from Brad Young, House Clerk. The Speaker has asked me to inform you the House will be in session next week on Wednesday, January 10, one week from today uh, at 2 p.m. Additionally, the Rules and Reference Committee will be meeting Tuesday, blah, 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 for scheduling purposes and so forth. The point is, uh, yesterday when we spoke with um, State Representative Josh Williams about how quickly we can get to the override proceedings uh, and uh, you know, and uh, override the veto of Mike DeWine on the Safe Act. Get enough people who confirm, <coughs> excuse me, who confirm that they can be in Columbus for this uh, uh, session for a necessary session on the tenth. They would have to wait fourteen more days, and wouldn't be able to do anything until they return on uh, January twenty fourth. So it was very important. <clears throat> important for the members to hear from their constituents, which is why we had uh, both Jen Gross and uh, Josh Williams on yesterday to uh, kind of you know impress upon you the importance of reaching out to your reps and tell them you want this done now, sooner rather than later, because 14 days later would have been a potentially disastrous situation given the grandfather clause that was written into, um, <coughs> excuse me, Still getting over the nagging, lingering cough, which is the remnants of the cold that I had last week. So, um, But at any rate, uh, there's a grandfather clause that basically says once you start on puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones, um, even if they are then outlawed for minors to get them on that path to, uh, uh, to bodily mutilation, the, you can stay on them even after it takes effect, even after the, the new law takes effect. So if there's 14 more days, more and more kids... And more and more disgusting reprobate parents who are trying to mangle their kids can go and get their prescriptions. They don't have to start taking them, but just get the prescriptions written before the law takes effect. And then they would be grandfathered in. So it's more kids who can be damaged by this. So it was important to get it done by January 10th or to get everybody there for this special session on January 10th. And so thank you to Representative Angie King for letting us know the great news that there will be a session on January 10th. Daniel Yes, indeed. I can dig that, and so should you. Uh, so that's good news. That's a great way to start this process, get the override done sooner rather than later. So um, I'm looking forward to your thoughts on that. And, again, we're going to talk about it with Robin Lundstrom. Again, they overrode the same veto of the same law in Arkansas two years ago, and we'll see what we can learn uh, from them. So other huge news this morning will come after we get our Pledge of Allegiance. Let's start the day right Friends and patriots, go ahead and face your flag if you have one. If you're driving, you've got one mounted on the dashboard or the rearview mirror. You're awesome. Good for you. But go ahead and put your hand on your heart and join us for this pledge. If you are a believer in mutilating kids because they have psychological confusion, well, then you truly don't understand liberty. You truly do not understand family. You truly do not understand what that flag represents in this glorious republic of ours. So don't fake it. You don't have to say the pledge. Just take a knee over there. Uh, next to the other Marxists and socialists, while the rest of us stand proudly and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic 
for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So having said all of that, um, let's get to the more distressing news. At least I find it to be a little bit distressing, but it is not, not at all surprising here in the state of Ohio. We knew... Apologies. I'm in a little bit of a problem with the microphone here. The mic arm just broke. I'm going to have to carry this thing now for the rest of the segment anyway until it can be repaired. Um, so let me, give you, uh, let me give you the rundown. This was in uh, the Plain Dealer yesterday. Or Cleveland.com. I don't subscribe to that paper. I don't subscribe to Cleveland.com either, but when people send me stuff, I can see it sometimes. And um, this is exactly what we said was going to happen now, isn't it? When the left, the progressives in Ohio, who simply do not believe in the constitutional republic that we are, when the, the progressives, and, the, and what I mean by that is they do not believe in the constitutional republic process or form or system of government. The, the process, of course, is that we, the people, elect our representatives to go and speak for us in the legislature. We elect the, the, the executive as well. We use the democratic process to do that. That's the democratic process of voting, but we are a representative republic. We send our reps to do everything for us. We're not a direct democracy in which we vote on every little issue that there is. Um, And there's a reason why the Founding Fathers uh, uh, designed this country in such a way. It's extraordinarily important, by the way, but the the left hates it. They don't believe in it. And the reason why is because their ideas are not popular. Their ideas are not popular enough to win uh, win, uh, uh, elections. And get a majority in the legislature, in the General Assembly, to do all of the radical left-wing left wing things that they want to do. They get mad about that. So what they're trying to do is literally erase the Democratic Republic that we are, the, the Constitutional Republic, the Representative Republic, the Democratic Republic, whatever you want to call it. It's a republic. They're trying to erase that now because since they can't win majorities in a very much, uh, very much red state, they're trying to turn Ohio into California by going directly to the Constitution of the state to amend it every time they want something that should be done in the legislature by amending the Ohio, or not amending, but by um, uh, changing the Ohio Revised Code. That's why it's called the ORC, the Ohio Revised Code, because it is intended to be to have some laws that are deemed to be unjust, to have them repealed, to have others changed and amended to be more reflective of what we want. And so on and so forth. And this is what we send people to Columbus for, to speak for us. It's what we send them to uh, Washington, D.C. for, to speak for us uh, on the federal level. But at any rate, we knew that the progressive left, if they had success by going to the ballot with a ballot initiative or two, which they did on November 7th with issue one on abortion and transing of kids, no matter what age, uh, they called it the you know Health Reproductive Freedom Act or whatever garbage that they wanted to call it, uh, Reproductive Rights Act, that every individual has the right to make their own <laughs> decisions on reproductive matters, which of course includes sterilization by way of cross-sex hormones and the like. But um, you know, you know what the outcome of that was going to be. They passed. It worked. And it worked big. And along with it, they went ahead and threw the, hey, let's all get baked. 
and then go drive and uh, and cause all kinds of problems on the job. Let's go. Let's let's have the right to get stoned whenever we want uh, for any reason that we want. Let's add that in too. They had that amendment on there, not amendment, but that was a ballot initiative. But they went straight to the Constitution for those, and we knew what they had success. What it was going to lead to, and what it has led to is this: a new push now to put uh, on the ballot in November, the presidential election year in which you know Democrats in Ohio and across the country will turn out in massive droves if it means stopping Donald Trump from uh, taking office again. They're going to have a massive Democrat turnout, and they're going to have a massive Democrat uh, push in Ohio to keep um, Sherrod Brown there to protect their very slim Senate majority. They have decided to place on November 2024's ballot a constitutional amendment that would essentially make it easy and, and, and I mean, I mean, almost guaranteed to steal elections. They want to expand voting access to allow you to basically vote whenever you want, wherever you want, under any circumstances, no matter who you are. You don't have to prove who you are. You don't have to prove you're only voting once. Drop boxes all over the freaking state. They want to make it easier to do what they did in 2020 on steroids. Steal elections. This one's called the Secure and Fair Elections Amendment which, of course, is laughable. It is an oxymoron. They want nothing to do with secure or fair elections. They want to be able to cheat, to lie, cheat, and steal, which is essentially, I think, in the charter of the Ohio Democrat Party. I'll have to check, but I think those words are there in that order, lie, cheat, and steal. The Secure and Fair Elections Amendment, according to Cleveland.com, would enshrine into the state constitution a wish list of elections policies backed by progressive activists, including automatic registration of all eligible Ohioans to vote unless they opt out while updating their registration every time they visit the state BMV. Now, I'm going to pause there and, and, and point out the idiocy and the hypocrisy of that last part of this. First of all, Voting is obviously a right of all eligible Ohioans and Americans. That's no problem. That shouldn't be a problem for anybody. Of course it's our right. But voting is something that you should have to want to do. And if you have no interest whatsoever in it, automatically registering you so that you can then be uh, harvested up and, and sh- you know piled into vans and taken by progressive activist groups and given incentives to go and vote when you didn't even care enough to know what you're voting about to register prior to this, prior to automatic registration, is obviously an attempt to... to if not cheat the vote, to skew the vote. Because ballot harvesting, of course, is a problem already. And if they are able to round up ballots and round up people, all of whom are registered, registered who have maybe have never even turned on a television or a radio or read a newspaper or know the names of candidates, but if they are told there's a cup of hot coffee and a sandwich waiting for you when you get out of the ballot over there, you're registered, aren't you? Yeah, of course you are because you live in Ohio. Just go in there and push that button. Go in there and make sure you push the right button. That's a terrible idea. Worst of all, worst of all is the hypocrisy. 
updating their registration every time they visit the BMV. Well, the left is telling us that you shouldn't have to visit the BMV because visiting the BMV, forcing people to go and get identifications and licenses is racist. And it's an attempt to disenfranchise uh, minority voters. Wait a minute, what? How are we combining those two? Number two, it would allow Ohioans to register to vote and cast a ballot on the same day, which is a little bit redundant if they're saying that everybody would be registered anyway, which leads me to believe, by the way, all of this isn't going to be on a single amendment. They're going to probably split this up and, and, and kind of piecemeal a bunch of different things together. But to allow Ohioans to register to vote and cast a ballot on the same day, same exact thing. Gathering people who have no intention of voting, who have no idea what they're voting about, no idea who the candidates are, no idea what the issues are, but telling them, if you walk over to that window over there, you can register and then go cast a vote at that moment. Here's all I need you to do. Do this. The current law, by the way, says you have to register 28 days before an election, which is more reasonable. Number three, it would allow counties to expand early voting hours and offer multiple locations for early in-person voting rather than just under the secure confines of the boards of election, multiple locations which would not be secure. And yes, ballot drop boxes. Of course, after all, nobody actually saw 2,000 mules, right? Nobody saw scores of vote mules bringing piles and stacks of ballots and jamming them into drop boxes when they didn't think that they were on camera and then going to different locations in the same night and dropping more in. Well, you know, the law says you can deliver ballots for family members who can't travel or can't get out. Yeah, How many people do you know that have six dozen family members, and why are they taking them to different drop boxes all over different cities? This is what happened in 2020, in the 2020 election. This is how it was stolen, for crying out loud. Now, Democrats shamelessly and brazenly saying, we want to be able to do that again. Current state law sets uniform voting procedures for all counties, regardless of size, which has led to repeated complaints from elections officials in Cuyahoga County and other large counties over the years. And number four, it rescinds the photo ID requirement for in-person voting, allowing in-person voters to instead sign an affidavit swearing to their identity because nobody would scribble an illegible name swearing that they are who they say they are, would they? The Democrat Party is making a move now to do something they would never be able to get done if they had to go through the Ohio General Assembly. They're going straight to the ballot, counting on, counting on two things. One, millions and millions of dollars from out-of-state progressive special interest groups, just like they did with issues one and two back in November. Millions of dollars to sell out Ohio's elections. And two... They're counting on the ignorance of the people. They're counting on an unelected and uninformed electorate. That's the the uh, that the bottom line is. I shouldn't say unelected. They're they're un, un, uneducated and uh, ill-informed electorate. That's what they're doing. That's why they're going straight to the ballot or the uh, Constitution with a ballot initiative instead of trying to go through the legislature. They know they can't do it. We told you they were going to do if they got success if they had success in November they were going to do this. 
We told you they're also going to come for your guns. Mark it down. This is not a question. This is a guarantee. It is a guarantee that once they get through this one, the next one will be, in all likelihood, hardcore gun control, gun restrictions, concealed carry, open carry, um, uh, ammunition, uh, you name it, everything that they can do. They know they can never get this done legislatively, so they're going to go to the ballot initiative and try to change the Constitution every time. We will be. Ohio, or excuse me, California Midwest version. The state of Ohio will be California, Californiated. Is that a word? I'm going to make it to Californiaized, Californiated, Californicated. Maybe it's a little bit better because I feel like we're all getting screwed. But that's the reality. We told you this was coming and it is coming. We are being attacked. Our entire governmental system as a representative republic is under attack. Friends, I hope you're ready for this. And I hope you're ready to fight like you've never fought before. If you thought you fought a good fight against the abortion uh, ballot initiative and the weed initiative, nothing compared to what this is going to have to take over the course of the next 12 or 11 months. They want this on the um, uh, 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 ballot in November. We are going to have to fight like hell. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob Prance. The answer. All right, it's 933. Good morning to you. Thanks so much for being with us. Phone lines are open at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I think I've got all of the uh, mechanics fixed around here. By the way, speaking of mechanics, my mic arm broke in the middle of the last segment, so I was struggling the last segment. Speaking of mechanics, how about the politically incorrect mechanic? Our friend Charlie Kalani, uh, Seth just told me about this. We're all Facebook friends with one another. Uh, but Charlie Kalani, our politically incorrect mechanic in Facebook, uh, or excuse me, in Lakewood or Flakewood, and on Facebook. You see how those things all kind of sound alike a little bit? Anyway, Charlie posted a picture of him uh, doing the Pledge of Allegiance mid-oil change. <laughs> he's standing underneath the vehicle that he's got up on the rack, and he stopped, and he's facing the amazing flag that he has mounted in the garage. I've been there because I do all my auto work, uh, get all my auto work done there. And uh, he's facing his uh, his flag, uh, which is a wood-carved flag, and it's just amazing. It's on the it's on the garage wall there. But, Charlie, awesome, awesome. Love the patriot- patriotism display. Uh, so glad to see that. Thank you. And, Seth, thank you for making me aware. Okay, um... I want, to add, I want to hit this Claudine Gay story briefly before I go to any calls. If you're on hold, stay there. If you're not on hold, get there. We'll get to you. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. So Claudine Gay has been forced to step down as the president of Harvard. She is now the shortest-serving president in the history of Harvard. She, of course, had to step down for all of the right reasons, the right reasons being she's a radical anti-Semite, and she is a fraud. She is an academic fraud. Her entire academic resume is all called into question now because she has been caught no less than 50 times plagiarizing other people's work. For all of her doctrinal uh, theses, uh, her, her, her papers, I mean, virtually everything that gave her what she had in order to be able to, to uh, you know, become a, a faculty member at Harvard and then ultimately to become the president. She's a fraud. When frauds are discovered, typically speaking, it's not controversial to oust them 
from their positions. Unless, of course, their name is Joe Biden, because Joe Biden is a fraud who has been caught plagiarizing countless numbers of times over 50 years in uh, government office, and he's always been able to escape. For some reason or another, Joe Biden has always been able to escape, even though he, and by the way, you notice how almost everybody in Washington has had something to say about the Harvard scandal and about these presidents. There were three university presidents that came up and testified in early December, uh, the presidents of MIT, Pennsylvania, UPenn, and, um, <coughs> excuse me, and Harvard, and um you know, they all basically gave the same answers as far as anti-Semitism on their campuses, and they do not condemn unilaterally, or not unilaterally, but uniformly, um, the, you know, chance calling for genocide of Jews from the river to the sea and so forth. Uh, so we all saw what happened there. And um, the first shoe to drop was the University of Pennsylvania president, uh, McGill. Her name is McGill. She was forced to resign in just a few days after that testimony was was offered. Um, calls for Claudine Gay, the president at Harvard, uh, to resign. Those started almost immediately after that, but it, it, literally immediately. Everybody at Harvard, including Harvard faculty members and so forth, came to her defense because she is historic. Remember, if you're black or gay or female, or in Corrine Jean-Pierre's case, a combination of all three, that makes you historic, and it means you're protected. And that's what they did. They circled the wag. How dare you call for the resignation of the first black female president in the history of Harvard University? How dare you suggest something like that? But what her comments did do is it forced some people, or it caused some people, to start investigating her to look a little deeper, and that's when they found all the plagiarism. And still they defended her. How dare you call for Claudine Gay, who stole another black woman's ideas, by the way. Carol Swain uh, is was the source of a lot of Claudine Gay's lifted material for which she provided no attribution in so much of her research, work, and presentation. So Carol Swain, Dr. Carol Swain, an actual black woman who probably is a lot more qualified than Claudine Gay, uh, she's the one who provided all of the information there, but they still circled the wagons around her until finally the the circling of the wagons wasn't enough to save the pot of gold. They had lost over a billion dollars in donors since the time all of this broke out. And the one thing that you can do with rich, elite academics is you can make them follow the money. And if they follow the money out the door, they'll do whatever they have to make sure that it turns around and comes back. So they finally forced her to resign. Now, facing all of that intense scrutiny, for her, uh, her anti-Semitism and her casual dismissal of the anti-Semitism on her campus, refusing to state that this is unacceptable and a violation of the code of conduct for Harvard University to call for genocide of one group of people. <clears throat> then all of the plagiarism. Uh, under all this intense scrutiny, she resigns yesterday. But, 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 remember, she's black and she's a female. And so this is historic. So she gets two things. Number one, she gets the righteous indignation of the radical American left. The CRT supporters, the DEI supporters saying, 
Harvard is now racist because they forced the resignation of their first black president. And calls and cries from American leftists all over social media that the next president to replace her must be a person of color. You cannot replace black Claudine Gay with a white university president because it is a terrible message for black leaders and educators that you're never going to have an opportunity because Claudine Gay screwed her opportunity because Claudine Gay cheated to get where she is. And so you have to replace her with another with another black Harvard president, or else all is lost. The other thing she gets is to keep the money. $900,000 per year. She doesn't lose the salary. She loses the job title of Harvard president, but she keeps the money. And here you and I were. Teaching our kids all these years that cheaters never win and winners never cheat. <laughs> she cheated on all of her academic uh, uh, materials, and yet she's winning because she gets to keep the money and doesn't even have to do the job. So all over leftist media and leftist academia and leftist social media for the last, you know, what, 18 hours, I guess, since this happened middle of the day yesterday, Um, The cries of racism and how unfair it is that this black woman has run out, this highly qualified black woman is having her name slandered in such ways. This is a terrible, terrible crime against against, uh, Claudine Gay simply because she's black. And something occurred to me last night as I was winding down my 24-7 show prep. I'm pretty much always researching show, show content. Somebody asked me one time, Bob, how many hours a day do you prep? Uh, did, does it take to prep a three-hour show? And my answer is all of them, because they are. I mean, it's pretty much nonstop. If I see something and I hear something, I'm taking notes on it and I'm researching it for the next day's show. Last night, as I was wrapping this up, something occurred to me. Why is forcing the resignation of Claudine Gay from Harvard a matter of race? When forcing the Resignation of the Penn president, McGill, not. It occurred to me that when the Pennsylvania president was forced to resign days after that testimony, not one soul in America went to their social media accounts or in their actual media uh, sources and, and declared there's a problem with the race of this individual. Apparently, Catherine McGill can be fired or forced to resign and it not be racially motivated because she's white. Then, of course, it wasn't racially motivated. She was forced to resign because she did the same things that, Carol, uh, that uh, uh, Claudine Gay, Gay did. She refused to condemn genocide on the campus of the University of Pennsylvania. She was ousted from her job, and everybody said that's the right answer. Claudine Gay gets ousted from her job, and everybody says, you can't do that. She's black. I want to read a tweet. There's a tweet here that was uh, put forth by hunting, 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 Greg Price. Greg Price is a political pundit and commentator. Um, He tweeted, first black female president of Harvard. 
serial plagiarist who resigned after the shortest tenure in school history. First black female Supreme Court justice doesn't know what a woman is. First black female vice president speaks in word salads and has the lowest approval rating of any VP ever. It's almost like appointing people based solely on their race and their gender is a bad idea. That, Mr. Price, is outstanding. That is exactly the point. And to all of those screaming that Claudine Gay needs to be replaced by a black female or a black person, you just kind of wonder how many blows over the head does it take before you start to understand something. How many different ways does it need to be explained to you that maybe, just maybe, merit should be the number one qualification and job requirement for something like, I don't know, the president of a prestigious university? Maybe, just maybe, merit should trump what color somebody is, or what sex somebody is, or what sleeping partners somebody likes to have. Maybe. What do you think? I never would have seen that Greg Price tweet had I not seen the follow-up to it, the retweet and the comment from Dr. Carol Swain, who is, like Claudine Gay, a black woman, but unlike Claudine Gay, a reasonable, responsible, and authentic scholar. Dr. Carol Swain, a black woman, responded to uh, Greg Price's tweet by saying he has a point here. Progressives have hurt blacks and other minorities by focusing on group identity rather than qualifications. It hurts every racial and ethnic minority who played by the rules and met the standards placed before them. She's exactly right. It does. If you are interested in advancing the cause of people who are in, in, in uh, minority groups, either due to sex or race or, or, or sexual orientation or what have you, hiring unqualified ones and then being refused to hold them accountable if they are hired and then found to have been unqualified or found to have been less than honest, to found, found to have been lying and cheating and stealing to get their jobs, if you won't hold them accountable after that, then guess what it does? It makes employers, corporations... <clears throat> Boards of directors, boards of trustees, it makes them very reticent to want to hire somebody if they know that if this person is a part of a protected class or marginalized group, as they are sometimes called, that if the time comes when they're not working up to par or some negative things about them are discovered, that we have to fire them or force their resignation, that we are going to be attacked as being the bigots. It makes you say, why, I don't want to do it. Do you know that for years this was played out in the National Football League with the quarterback position? Do you know how many years went by that that potentially good quarterbacks, black quarterbacks, were kind of overlooked? Not because they're black. Although in some cases, in the really early years of professional football, the quarterback being the uh, most difficult position to play from a, from a cerebral point of view. The quarterback not only has to know his position, he has to know what every single player on the field is doing on theirs, and then has to change them around, move them around, read the defenses, and so forth. It's a cerebral position, and to some racists or people with racist tendencies in that regard said, you know, these, these black guys, they're not going to be able to handle that part of the job. That, that's real. That's true. That happened.
Okay. But as that part of it started to, um, you know, become erased and, and more and more black quarterbacks kind of arrived on the scene, there was still a hesitancy of some general managers from drafting or trading for or signing as free agents black quarterbacks because when those players ultimately fail and the overwhelming majority of quarterbacks fail of all colors, look at the turnover at the quarterback position in this league every single year. It's astounding. It's the hardest position to play in sports. And when that person ultimately fails, if we're going to be called bigots or racists for saying that we gave up on them too soon because it's a black quarterback, then I don't want the headache of drafting or signing a black quarterback at all. Because if I sign that white guy that may be neck and neck with that black guy over there, and once he fails and I cut him or trade him or release him, or don't offer him a new contract, nobody's going to say a word other than they're moving on to another quarterback. But if the same thing happens and I cut or release or don't offer a new contract to the black guy, I'm going to be called a racist. I don't want the headache. I'm not going to do it at all. That's, that's what Claudine Gay has brought now to this situation, what Carol Swain is talking about. She has hurt blacks and other minorities by focusing on what she looks like rather than what she did what her qualifications were, and what her level of honesty was. Carol Swain was essentially the model for for Claudine Gay's work. She is in a position as a highly accomplished black scholar, a black woman of, of phenomenal reputation. She has the point of view that you or I or anybody else really cannot have, and she is pointing it out, but the the reality is, that Claudine Gay has indeed set back uh, the movement to get more and more black leaders in positions, whether they be boardrooms as CEOs or university presidents or whatever the case, set them back a very, very long way. And if the radical American left is going to continue the groupthink identity politics by continuing to say that she was ousted because she's black, not because she's a plagiarist, and not because she holds anti-Semitic views and will not condemn anti-Semitism and calls for genocide, if they're going to continue to defend her because she's black, it is going to do great damage to black the aspirations of black leaders all over this country in a lot of different areas. This is a choice that they are making. This is a choice that Al Sharpton is making when he screams, this is all about blackness. This is a choice <clears throat> that, um, uh, that uh, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Who I quoted somebody before, and now I can't seem to find. Oh, Mark Lamont Hill. Uh, he is making when he talks about this is uh, this is all about blackness. This is what they do. They are literally hurting their own the people that they themselves uh, profess to be concerned about and to care about. Sharpton. What did Sharpton say? Do I have Sharpton's uh, comment here? I don't know if I have Sharpton's or not, but Sharpton <coughs> basically said the same thing, that Claudine Gay uh, being fired is just an attack on black women. It's unbelievable. Okay, uh, I want to get a quick time out here so I can come back in and get a few... But with your help, we're cleaning it up. It's fun, easy, and means so much. Go to greatlakes.org slash adopt and join us on the beach. Okay, 9.54. Uh, let's get a call in here from TJ in Cleveland before we move on. TJ, you're on the air. Fire away, good sir. Yeah, you know, Bob, on this gun issue, I know, realize one thing. If they make guns illegal, it's going to be like drugs. People are still going to get them. They're just going to get them illegally. And, you know, I think a lot of people got to realize when they do carry one, 
you don't want to use lethal force unless there is no other alternative. If you do, even if you're justified, I guaranteed you're going to go through the court system, the deceased family member's going to sue you. You're going to have to hire legal representation. Your life is going to change, and it's going to cost you a lot of money. So even if you care, you've got to be careful. Uh, what I suggest, and I'm starting to change my thinking a little bit, uh, use something like mace or uh, a taser, you know, where you're not using lethal force. Right. And, and the gun can be a nice backup just in case. And, and the tip I'd like to give your, your callers there is wasp spray is beautiful. Uh, I had a neighbor, he was afraid of home invasions and stuff, but he said he's more afraid of guns. And I told him, I says, look, get a can of wasp spray. I says, you can shoot a stream 15, 20 feet with it, and if you hit somebody in the face with it, you're going to incapacitate them. So, I mean, other than if people don't want to carry a gun, just get a can of wasp spray. It's, well, not, it's not that expensive. You know, it's pretty cheap, and it's effective. But but the thing is that there's a hell of a responsibility with a gun, and I think a lot of people carrying them just don't realize just how much responsibility. Yeah, well, you know, you're you're right about that, TJ, and thank you, my friend, for the call. I appreciate it. Um, I'll say this. Um, I don't want people to have to resort to uh, less lethal methods if they're going to be attacked with lethal methods. Uh, I do understand your point. It is a very important responsibility. I get it. But if somebody is indeed going to have guns because they don't respect the law, which is exactly the point, the law abiding should not be forced to fight back against a gun with a can of spray. I do get your point. Like I said, though, and if you have the opportunity to use less than lethal methods and protect yourself, do it. I, of course, would always say that. I would, I would fight somebody with my fist before I'd want to pull a gun on them, but if unless there is a lethal threat. To me or my family or the people around me. You know, that's, of course, a different story. We're going to talk. If you don't know what TJ's talking about, John Lott is going to join me in about a half an hour, uh, 1035. We're going to talk to John about this new California uh, law, this ridiculous uh, law that uh, uh, essentially bans concealed carry. Um, it goes into effect today or yesterday, I guess it was. Uh, it is now the law or actually went into effect on January 1st. So that would make a lot more sense. Uh, and gun rights advocates are fighting this tooth and nail. Uh, it is uh, it is a big deal. So we're going to talk to John. He's the uh, president and the founder of the um, Crime Prevention Research uh, Center, and he is one of the biggest uh, 2A advocates in the country. I want to use this last minute here um, to play a very quick portion following up on what I was discussing about Claudine Gay. Alan Dershowitz is one of the most famous alums of Harvard uh, ever. In that storied university's history, first he's an alum, second of all, he's a former law professor there, now he's a law professor emeritus, and he has literally washed his hands of his university. He was offering commentary yesterday in response to Claudine Gay's resignation as to whether or not this would do something much more important than just get rid of her. Does it get rid of DEI and the DEI that she brought with her to get the job? The reason she was hired is because of her staunch support of the diversity, equity, and inclusion mantra that is poisoning universities all over this country and corporations and jobs and and schools and everything else. Could this be the end of DEI? She's no longer president. It's good for universities around the country. It will send a powerful message, I think. Um, but uh, at this point, it's a limited good unless we take it to the next step. And the next step has to be the complete and total dismantling of the DEI bureaucracy. Uh, that's the bureaucracy that says we need diversity, but it can only be diversity of skin color. The last thing we want in the world is diversity of ideas. Oh, my God. 
you're, you're actually want to bring religious Christians onto the campus, people who oppose a woman's right to choose, people who oppose gay marriage, people who support open gun laws, people who want um, a more conservative spring. You actually want them to come and, 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 and pollute the minds of Harvard students? No, no, that's not diversity. Diversity just means counting the number of minorities in any given class, no matter what their views are. That's what diversity is indeed. By the way, Professor Dershowitz is a noted liberal. That's where you'll find streaming video of A New Beginning with Greg Laurie. Ministry videos on demand at lightsource.com. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Hour number two underway now. It is seven minutes after 10 o'clock on this Wednesday. It's the third morning of the first month in the year of our Lord, 2024. We got some great news at the start of the day. Found out that the Speaker of the Ohio House, Jason Stevens, has indeed called for the special session, the emergency session, if you will, uh, to get everybody back to the General Assembly on, uh, on uh, the 10th. So one week from today so that they can have a vote in the House on overriding Governor DeWine's veto of the SAFE Act and the Saving Women's Sports Act. It's a huge, huge step. There were some concerns yesterday when I spoke with Representative Josh Williams and Representative uh, Jen Gross. There was uh, you know, some huge questions about whether or not uh, they were going to be able to get everybody back to do this or if they were going to have to wait until the 24th when they come back uh, to have this vote, which, of course, leaves a lot of time for a lot more kids to be put into some serious jeopardy. And so we found out that, yes, uh, they are going to hold the special session on the 10th. Uh, Once the House votes for it, if they vote to override the veto, we are told, the Senate has indicated to a number of sources that they will also vote to override. Clearly, there are enough votes um, in both chambers of the General Assembly to, uh, uh, to override a veto if necessary in the original vote. Would any of them peel off and actually vote against the way they did in the original uh, vote on this? That's a question, I guess, uh, for all of them to answer. But the good news is they're going to have that chance to answer on the 10th. Now, about, uh, what, almost four years ago now, or three years ago now, in uh, April of 2021, the good people of Arkansas had the good representation in the Arkansas legislature pass something called the SAFE Act in that state. Um, It's a bill that was sponsored by Representative Robin Lundstrom and Senator Alan Clark, and it was called the same exact thing, the Saving Adolescents from Experimentation Act. In other words, it was the first version of the bill that just got passed uh, last month in Columbus. Just like we had with our rhino, trans-democrat, whatever you want to call Mike DeWine, our Republican governor vetoed that bill, or that, uh, that uh, yeah, that bill, once it got through. The same type of rhino uh, Republican governor in Arkansas vetoed their bill. The good news is the people of Arkansas, or the representation in Arkansas, 
quickly moved to override that veto, and that is something we are hoping is going to happen here in Columbus as well. Joining us now to tell us about the process is Robin Lundstrom, state representative in Arkansas, who did indeed sponsor and pass that first version of the SAFE Act in her state. Robin, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I appreciate it. How are you? I am doing great, and it is an awesome morning. Congratulations to the state legislature in Ohio. What heroes. That is so exciting to see. It is. It is. And, and uh, you know, as I'm told by uh, our mutual acquaintance and friend, Gary Click, Representative Click, who sponsored this here in the state of Ohio, um, you were the person who put this first version together. You and uh, the state senator there, uh, Mr. Clark, I think it was. Um, yes, Alan yeah. Clark. Yeah, you guys, and, you guys did this first. Can you tell us about Tell us about uh, the, the bill that you came up with back in 2021. Well, first of all, it was definitely a team effort, and, and I'm seeing that te- same team effort there in Ohio with the House and the Senate and all the members that voted for this. This is amazing. I, I feel like I'm, the, the grin is going from ear to ear watching everybody come together and stick up for kids. And it was the same in Arkansas. When, when we put this bill on the desk, we had 65 co-sponsors. Wow. Um, every single person that I went and approached and said, do you know what they're doing to kids, and do you want a piece of this action? They're like, yes, this is so wrong. How could somebody do that to a kid? You can't make those decisions under 18. Heaven knows what all of us did under 18, and I'm so thankful we didn't have social media around. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> so no way do we need to be cutting off body parts. Um, so thank God in Arkansas, at least we started the process. Now we're in court. We've um, The first round we've lost. And now we're on the way to the Eighth Circuit. Um, we kind of feel really good about the Eighth Circuit, but then, of course, we'll end up in Supreme Court. Um, so it's a, one of those things where you lose, you win, and then you go to the big show. So we'll see how that all goes. But we did win the vote in the House and the Senate, and then the governor, I would have laid money that my governor at the time would never have vetoed that bill. But... It was quiet for seven days, and that's not a good thing. Um, it was quiet, and then the morning of, by noon that day, he had to decide what he was going to do, and he called and said, I'm going to veto. And I, I, the, what, the what, shock. He, what, what, what reason did he offer? He just felt like it was um, a bridge too far, that it was too radical, and um, we needed some type of a grandfather clause. And, and my response is, you don't grandfather in castration of children um and there's just no way that this is this doesn't work with the science what's wrong is still wrong and i I just think he listened to a lot of bad advice i can't go into his brain and his heart but he listened to a lot of bad advice Um, and it wasn't just my personal opinion yeah, it wasn't just him. We're talking to Robin Lundstrom. She's a state representative in Arkansas who passed the first version of the SAFE Act. Uh, happened in her state in 2021. They overrode Governor Asa Hutchinson's veto in order to make this law. Um, it wasn't just him, though. I mean, I'm looking at some coverage of this. The ACLU uh, fought mm-hmm. you guys tooth and nail. Uh, yes, let's very see. much so. Uh, there, there, were, there were, you know, the, the typical left-wing and LGBTQ organizations that want uh, these kids to be 
and I, I hate to say it this way, but to be experimented on, because this is something that is so new and it is so radical, it has not been done or studied on a widespread basis ever in human history. So it's really, truly still experimental. Um, but these people, these people fought you guys wanting to protect kids from bad decisions that are made, like you pointed out, that most of us make uh, before our brains are formative and we are adult enough to know what in the heck we're doing. Yeah, my time under testimony or under oath, I didn't, they never put me on the stand, was six hours and 42 minutes. So, no, they're very serious about this. They want the opportunity to castrate and mutilate children. So it's not something that's, this is a money-making opportunity, whether it's Planned Parenthood or some of these children's hospitals or a hospital, the nurses, or not the nurses, but the surgeons, um, big pharma. This is a big money-making scheme on the back of children. Oh, there's no so, question. There, there's a there's a profit motive. I think you're exactly right in the medical providers, and I don't even want to use the word care to say medical providers because it's not care. Um, no, and it's there not is care. a profit profit motive, obviously, for the pharmaceutical companies who are going to have lifelong patients here who are going to be taking their drugs to keep their, uh, you know, their their natural hormone levels suppressed and so forth. All of these things are for sure, but it's more than just profit motive, isn't it, Representative Lundstrom? There is a there is an agenda here um, that the the left wing is trying to use to expand the power of another quote-unquote marginalized base for the purposes of power. I feel like that's what they're really recruiting these kids for. Sure. Once they've got these these kids in the fold, they've got future soldiers forever because they'll never be able to turn back. And that's not exactly true. They can detransition, but the hell that they've been through to get to that point, one of the things that I've made a lot of friends in the process of doing this, both in the transgender community and gay and lesbian community, And one of the things that uh, a good friend of mine pointed out to me, who's transgender, he said, Robin, there's an inside deal you don't even understand, and you'll never understand because you're not one of us. But there's a really sick joke. It's called the seven-year itch. And I went, what? He said, after all the hell, all the surgeries, the top surgery, the bottom surgery, the medication, going through all this emotional drama and physical drama that your body goes through, after about seven years, you realize it doesn't get any better, and that's when the suicide rates go up. What do you mean, Scott? He, has, he said they call it the seven-year itch. You decide whether to give up or you live in this body. Are you going to stay where you bloom, where you're planted? And people just give up and commit suicide. Said, that is sick and sad. He said that's why we have the highest suicide rates in the country, and they call it the seven-year itch. I said that is the most sick thing I have heard. He said, then they don't talk about that on the social media, and they don't talk about that in the news programs. If they did, we wouldn't have this transgender issue at all. Well, no, of course they don't. Because it's sad. Yeah, of of course they don't talk about it. In fact, what they do is they talk about it in just the opposite way. Um, Sure. I I commented on this, uh, this, you know, I think it was maybe in response to one of the posts that Representative Click made. And somebody underneath that uh, said something like, why do you want uh, more kids to commit suicide? They're saying that if these kids aren't allowed to transition and have their bodies mutilated and have their uh, their fertility, you know, uh, become infertile and sterilization and so forth, if you don't if you don't let them do that, they're going to kill themselves on the front end rather than the reality, which shows that 19 times this kind of buttresses the point mm-hmm. you just made about the seven year itch. Uh, uh, adults in their 20s who have had these surgeries uh, that started the process when they were doing the, the drugs as kids um, are 19 times more likely than the general population of the same age range to commit suicide. Not 19%, 19 times. It's extraordinary. And they want us to think that it's life-saving to do these mutilating things to these kids so they don't kill themselves beforehand. Mm-hmm. And your representatives and senators in Ohio 
are standing up against all the woke media that's going to come after them. The emails and the comments that they're going to get from some people outside of the state are going to be horrendous. And they're going to stand there and they're going to push a button to override that governor. And they're going to do the right thing and go home and sleep in bed at night knowing that I did the right thing. And what's incredible about this, I walked into the legislature the day of the um, vote, and there were we get pink slips where you can put a note to your representatives, and there were 32 little pink slips on my desk. And I thought, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to look, you know, stay focused. And, of course, curiosity got to me, and I started to look, and I peeled up the first one and said, we're praying for you. The next one, we're praying for you. Our whole church is praying for you. Vote for this bill. They didn't know it was my bill. They had no idea. We're praying for you. Vote for this bill. It's a must. Out of the 32, there was only one that said, don't vote for it. The people back home had my back. The people of Ohio get it. It's the loud and proud folks that are pushing an agenda. Yes, they've got the mic of the press, the vast majority of the press, but the people back home have more common sense. You've got to trust the people back home. They care about their kids. They love their kids. And those state reps and state senators are doing the right thing, and they're the heroes in the moment right now. And they just need to stick to it. And I'm proud of, of Gary and the whole team, the speaker, your lieutenant governor and secretary of state, and all these folks in Ohio that are doing the right thing. They're going to be able to look back and say, we did the right thing for the kids of Ohio. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly pretty, what, pretty amazing and cool. Yeah, that's what we're hoping. We're talking to a state representative from Arkansas, Robin Lundstrom, <clears throat> who passed the first version of the SAFE Act in her state, same exact uh, bill, or very close to it in terms of language that was passed uh, by Representative Gary Click in the General Assembly uh, last month. Uh, it was vetoed by Mike DeWine. He waited until the very 11th hour to veto it. It mm-hmm. sat for 10 days uh, before he uh, before he uh, made his decision. Um, how do you, Representative Lundstrom, respond to those who say in, in what Mike DeWine said in his veto? And what he said in his veto was is that... Um, it, it is wrong for the government to substitute its judgment for what should happen with a child uh, for that of the parents, the two people who love them the most, that the government shouldn't tell them what to do. The parents and the doctors working with those parents should be the ones who decide what they do with these kids. Here's a shocker for you. In a lot of situations, I agree. But we as parents also buckle our kids in the car. We don't give our kids alcohol. We don't give our kids illegal drugs. We as a community and we as and people of conscience as adults, we behave in a certain standard to protect children. I don't think this is outside of that standard at all to say we don't cut off penises and we don't cut off breasts and we don't experiment on children. This is definitely part of that bumpers that society puts up. I don't think it's a far stretch at all. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's well said. And, um, you know, they're going to continue to push and claim that this is government intervention. But you know what? There are times when the government is supposed to intervene. If a parent is abusing their child, the government intervenes. If a parent is neglecting their child, the government intervenes. Exactly. And if a parent is going to put their kid on a table and say, cut him up, um, the, the government ought, ought to intervene and say, no, you can't that, do that. Yeah, sure. Every single time and twice on Sunday. This is this is how we behave in a civilized society. We look back at the Nazis and we're aghast at what we see in history, and and we wonder how could that happen? And it's it's because one people didn't know, but the people that did know didn't know what to do, and it was a war. Mm-hmm. But we're not at war. We know 
And so it's on us if we don't do something. It's on us if we don't say something. And the Ohio legislature is saying something. The governor, it's on him now. If you listen to the siren song of the liberals, it, it, you lose your way every single time. Yep, yep, and it I all sounds agree. good for a while and until the wheels come off. And then when it does, it's an absolute mess. And here we are. And I, so, I, am, I hope the legislature stays strong, stays true. It, is, it sounds they are, and it's really going to be a, a great day for Ohio. So, Representative Lundstrom, tell me about great days for Arkansas. Can you Do you have any metrics, any statistics, or anything that can give us uh, an idea of how things have changed since this past, since it was vetoed, since it was overridden in Arkansas, in terms of numbers of kids and uh, whether or not the law is being followed now? Well, unfortunately, castration and uh, mutilation of children goes on in Arkansas because the ACLU, of course, ran to court. The judge, it was a one-bench ruling. I mean, one judge made the decision for the state of Arkansas. So children are still mutilated in Arkansas. Um, we are court, now going... Where does it stand in the courts? We are in the Eighth Circuit, and we will be there sometime this spring. And it looks very favorable for us there, but who knows? I mean, you go to court, it's really up to those judges to rule, but it is in the Eighth Circuit, and that's a very positive thing for us. Um According to all the attorneys who read those tea leaves, I'm not an attorney, so they they keep telling me this is a good thing. Um, and then the other side will re- re- appeal, and then it goes it goes to the Supreme Court. So, what does your state Supreme Court makeup look like? No, the U.S. Supreme Court. Oh, oh, oh! I thought you meant the state Supreme Court first. Oh, okay. So this is being challenged in federal court. Oh, I see. Now yes. That's that's a surprise to me. I didn't realize this. I thought a state law like this would have to be challenged in state court. <clears throat> well, we're we're on the way to the Eighth Circuit, and then when the Eighth Circuit, um, the ACLU will obviously not stand still for that if we win in the Eighth Circuit. And I mean that's the way it works. So we just we bite our time. So now I'm really um, worried, actually, because I look at the <laughs> U.S. Supreme Court, you know, headed up by John Roberts, and I know the numbers have changed since Obergefell, but, you know, you, you see some radical things being done by what you thought were constitutional originalists uh, with uh, same-sex marriage at the Supreme Court level. So, I, you know, I feel better about what looks like a 6-3 court right now, but I don't know if I could be assured of anything at this point. No, I'm not assured of anything, but I am assured that, I think this this subject this this issue is coming to the forefront and 10 other states have passed this it has it is coming to the forefront as far as the science people are starting to get that this is mutilating children they're looking at every single issue that's coming every single study that's starting to come out other countries have said wait a second whoa this is really bad that Sweden after 30 years have has suspended this for minors. Um, the Netherlands, Finland, unfortunately, even the transgender community, as they age, they're starting to show the signs and the stress, the cardiovascular disease, cerebrovascular disease, osteoporosis, all of the different issues. Their own bodies are bearing witness of just how horrible this is. So you talk to an adult transgender and they're letting us know, I'm not able to have children. I don't have bodily functions that I was promised I would have. I can't even go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. All of the things that, that they were promised, quote-unquote, normal lives, 
it's not happening. And so they're bearing witness to the horror of this. It's played out in front of us. So something as simple as just living life, it's bearing fruit. So I, I think with time, people are starting to get with to get the the whole act. This isn't working, mm-hmm. and people yeah, have it, common sense. Mid America, they know what's going on. You're not going to pull the wool over their eyes. What, what I what I get very frustrated with, Robin, and we'll have to close here. We're just about out of time, but is you mentioned you can detransition. You can, but you can't. I mean, even if you look at those who are no. making the most noise about this, those who uh, acknowledge what they did, about how imprudent it was, about how what a terrible decision was, and they regret it forever, and they do treat detransition back, but they never get back their bodily functions. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the voice has changed, and those don't change when you try to detransition. So you have otherwise females who with, with now deep male voices because of the hormones that they took. All of these things are warning signs and and you would think that people would listen to them the people who i mean doctors don't know because they haven't been through it parents don't know because they look at the people who have been through it and the and the rising number of people who went through this and have massive regrets and who are sounding the alarm saying stop this now before it happens to other people the way it happened to me you would think their testimony would carry more weight than anybody else's you would hope you would hope but you know what? The, the liberals don't want to don't want to listen to that common sense, that deep small voice that tells you right is right and wrong is wrong. Mm-hmm. But that's up to us to speak the truth anyway, and that's what Ohio's doing. They're speaking the truth anyway, and it's exciting to see. And I my hat is off to the Ohio legislature for standing up for kids. Well, we uh, we certainly salute you and the Arkansas legislature for kind of pioneering this whole thing and leading the way. Uh, thank well, you. Well, it was for a team you... effort. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad of that. And I hope we have enough members of our team to get this thing done here, to override this veto from Mike DeWine. And Lord knows if there's going to be uh, court challenges here as well. But hopefully we uh, we can all get to the place where our first concern is not our political agendas, but looking out for our kids. And now that's where Never give are. up. Yep, that's what it's all about. Robin Lundstrom, uh, state representative in Arkansas, keep up the great work out there. Thank you so very much for coming on with us. Thank you for having me. God bless you. Uh, it's uh, 1027. We'll take a time out here. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about saving people in another way. Using our Second Amendment rights. John R. Lott Jr. is going to be the word. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 1034. Thank you again to uh, Robin Lundstrom, state representative from Arkansas, for joining us. Um, we are uh, traveling the same road that they have already traveled down. And as a matter of fact, theirs is not yet over. I did not realize that court case was still being battled out in uh, uh, federal court in, in uh, I say Arizona. If I did, I apologize, Arkansas. <clears throat> but that continues to be battled out. And we are, of course, in for the uh, fight of our lives here to protect our kids through the SAFE Act. What a pivot now. We'll talk about another way to save our kids and to save all of our lives. Of course, that would be by availing ourselves of the Second Amendment. The right to protect ourselves, to keep and bear arms, shall be uninfringed. Uninfringed. But Governor Gavin Newsom and California Democrats have decided to infringe away anyway. They passed a law last year banning Americans from carrying legally owned firearms in more than two dozen public places in California, even if those residents have legal concealed carry licenses, which uh, Brittany Hughes uh, for MRC-TV pointed out shouldn't be necessary in the first place because the 
right to keep in arms shall not be infringed. But nonetheless, they infringe away. The law went into effect on January 1st, even as gun rights advocates fight this unconstitutional ban. A district judge had issued a ruling on December 20th blocking the law from taking effect. But that decision was overturned on Saturday by a federal appeals court, which put a hold on the block. And so here we sit. Lawyers on both sides of the issue filing arguments in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, otherwise known as the Ninth Circle of Hell. That'll be going on in uh, January and February. Joining us now to try to make some sense out of all of this is one of the leaders in the fight for Second Amendment rights uh, in America today. He is the uh, president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, John R. Lott, Jr., joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. John, good morning. Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year, Bob. Great to talk to you. Good to talk, talk to you as well. So, what um, What is your understanding of the law that was passed? Before we get into where it is legally at the moment, um, where can you not carry concealed weapons in the state of California based on their new law? Well, it pretty much is a ban on virtually every place other than some sidewalks. Uh, they list 26 different types of facilities that you're not allowed to carry. Many of them have 100-foot uh, areas around them that you're not allowed to carry. And probably the most pernicious one is for any private property, so that's any type of business, uh, you're only allowed to carry there if they post a sign uh, explicitly allowing you to carry. Um, And so people really, you know, whether it's a a whole list of places, they're prevented from carrying. uh, But it's even worse than that because just a couple weeks ago, the attorney general there uh, put out a rule on who could train people in order to get their permits. You have to have 16 hours of training uh, in order to get your permit initially, and then there's training to get it renewed. And uh, the attorney general there uh, instituted a rule that essentially got rid of over 90% of the firearms trainers in the state. Uh, and maybe as high as like 97% of the firearms trainers are no longer allowed to train anybody how did how did they do that under 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 what ruling did they say a trainer can no longer train well it's going to be something that's going to be challenged in court but he but essentially he's limiting the training to uh those who have gotten specific uh, approval from the local sheriffs the local sheriffs have set up nothing in order to go and uh start a process to begin to approve people um, you know, but this will be challenged in court, but for some period of time, you know, whether it's, you know, several months or longer, uh, effectively, you can't even go through the process to go and get a permit. And, of course, there are other places in the state like Los Angeles and, and San Francisco, which have just been refusing to issue any permits anyway. So as I listen to all of this, John, um it sounds like they're just trying to kind of use attrition to get rid of every gun in California. We're going to make it impossible for you to get uh, a concealed carry license because we're getting rid of all of the trainers. And even if you do get one, will it have been worth your time if you can't carry them in any public place? Um, so basically, you know, the goal here seems to be to make... Uh, a responsible law-abiding gun owner just give up on it because I can't get trained, and even if I do, I can't carry it anywhere. What's the point, right? Right. Look, uh, 
it's been difficult for many years to go and get a concealed carry permit. I actually got a list of all the people in Los Angeles County who had gotten a permit a few years ago, uh, and they had like 240 uh, people with permits out of an adult population of 8.5 million. But basically the only people that they gave permits to were wealthy, politically connected individuals who had given large amounts of money to the sheriff's reelection campaign. And so, you know, if my research convinces me of anything, the people who benefit the most are the people who are the ones who are most likely victims of violent crime, and that overwhelmingly tends to be poor blacks who live in high-crime urban areas, and people who are relatively weak or physically, women and the elderly. But if you look at who they gave permits to, only 7% of the permit holders were women. Only 5% were black. Uh, you know, so, you know, nationwide, uh, where you don't didn't have to have, you know, go and give a good reason to some public official uh, to get a permit. Uh, about 30% of permit holders are women, and about 13% are black. So they, kind of, the blacks mirror their share of the national population. But apparently, uh, the powers that be in California didn't think women or blacks tended to be, you know, ones that really needed to be able to protect themselves. That's an astounding revelation. We're talking to John Arlott, Jr. He is the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center and a strong Second Amendment advocate. Um, you know, I'm looking at the um, a short kind of generalized list of the 26 different, quote, sensitive, end quote, public places in which uh, carrying concealed weapons would be banned. They include public parks, playgrounds, hospitals, churches, banks, libraries, sporting events, and even zoos. So basically anywhere somebody might find themselves facing a threat and needing to defend themselves in creating what what you can only describe as soft targets, literally just massive crowds of, of unarmed people that are, that are perfect targets for a nut who decides to go in and commit a mass shooting. Look... California has a very high rate of mass public shootings per capita compared to the rest of the country. Their rate is about twice the rate uh, for the rest of the country. And it's not by accident. I mean, uh, you know, it's, the bizarre thing is uh, with uh, the gun control groups will go and say California has the most restrictive gun control laws in the country, and they think that's a great thing. But I would go and argue it's precisely because they have all these restrictive rules that prevent people from being able to go and protect themselves, that they do have the high rate there. Anybody who's read the diaries and manifestos for these mass murders know that they many times explicitly explain why they pick the targets that they do. And, you know, they may be crazy in some sense, but they're not stupid. Their goal is to get media coverage. And they know the more people they kill, the more media coverage they can get. And they know if they go to a place where victims can't defend themselves, they're going to be able to more easily kill uh, multiple people. Uh, so, you know, last year, at the beginning of last year, you had a couple mass public shootings in Los Angeles County, had a uh, big one up in San Mateo. In San Mateo, only one out of every 24,000 adults had a concealed carry permit. In Los Angeles County, only one out of every 5,600 adults had a concealed carry permit. 
You know, compare that to the rest of the country outside of New York and California. You have over 10% of the adult population with a concealed carry permit. And that doesn't even count the fact that now we have 27 constitutional states, constitutional carry states, including Ohio, where it's not even necessary to have a permit. So we did a survey with McLaughlin and Associates this last year to go and get an idea of the rate that people carry. And for uh, people who are general election voters, uh, it's slightly over 15% of the adult population uh, in the country uh, is legally carrying a concealed handgun. So outside of California and New York and a few other states like Hawaii and and New Jersey and Maryland, um, you know, the likelihood that you have somebody next to you you know, at a restaurant or a grocery store or a mall or a movie theater who's carrying is very hot. Uh, you know, it, you'd think uh, somebody like Biden wouldn't be going to California and going and telling that the rest of the country should be adopting the types of rules that they have. Nobody in the media goes and says, well, why is it California has such a high rate of per capita? You know, California is a big population. So you have to adjust on a per capita basis. But why is it that they have twice the rate of mass public shooting uh, compared to the rest of the country? Those are all very good questions. And, and John, you know, I'm, obviously we talk about the fact that, that laws like this only impact law-abiding citizens. Those who don't obey laws in the first place are going to get their hands on guns and they're going to get them through the black market and so forth. And it makes me wonder about the you know the security of our southern border we know that there are record amounts of drugs that are being trafficked across the border uh one would think the same thing could be true of guns but the reality is according to all the statistics i've seen is that there is a massive uh trafficking uh, and smuggling of guns the other direction from the u.s into mexico can you explain that do you understand that well actually that's not really true uh you know they'll go and they'll say that uh, 90% of crime guns in Mexico come from the United States. But what you have to understand is they only, it's pretty easy to go and tell whether a gun comes from the United States because the United States is unique in terms of requiring serial numbers on guns. Mm-hmm. And so what, what you have is only about 17% of the crime guns in Mexico are, are attempted to be traced. To the United States, and it's 90% of that 17%. So it's only about 15%. And many of those guns are many decades old that they have there. Uh, anybody who's looked at this carefully, I'll give you an example. In a recent five year period, uh, the Mexican military had confiscated about 15,000 hand grenades from uh, Mexican uh, drug cartels. But you don't go to a gun store in the United States, at least none that I know of, and go and buy a hand grenade. Uh, they're not getting those from the United States. Uh, and it's the same with the other weapons there. They bring in weapons from around the world, just as they bring in uh, the drugs from the rest of the world uh, to go and transit to the United States. Some of the guns they just steal from the Mexican military. But in Mexico... Uh, since 1972, they've only had one gun store in the country. It's been run by the military. The most powerful gun 
that you can legally buy in Mexico is a 22 caliber short round bolt action rifle. Uh, believe it or not, that's not the type of gun that the drug gangs use down there. And yet, since they've had that rule, uh, the Mexican murder rate has more than doubled. And in some of the recent years, Mexico has a murder rate uh, that's been as high as six times higher than the murder rate that we have here in the United States. Um, you know, uh, they have a bad drug gang problem. Drug gangs fight against each other and the government in order to try to control uh, the drug turf that they have there. Uh, so, I mean, that's the problem there. You could go and, uh, you know, click your fingers and cause all guns to disappear, but they pretty quickly come back in from around the rest of the world because, you know, it's not like the drug gangs can go to the government there and say, look, this other gang stole our drugs. Can you help us get them back? They have to set up their own little militaries in order to protect that extremely valuable property. Of course, a lot of the drug gangs now are involved in massive human trafficking. You know, making literally many tens of billions of dollars from doing that now. So, is there a threat, John? Because this is where I'm going with this. Of course, is you know trying to figure out where where the guns are are coming from when when crackdowns and gun control laws are passed like the one in California again it only impacts law abiding citizens the bad guys are going to get their guns where are they getting their guns because my assumption like i said was a lot of them would be smuggled in like drugs across our porous border so where where are the black market suppliers coming from yeah you know i think it's a mistake just to look at where they get the guns now because just as Mexico has illustrated, uh, you're going to find them going and getting them from other sources. You know, even if I could cause all guns in the United States to disappear and all illegal drugs, how long do you think it would be before illegal drugs started coming back into the United States? 20 minutes if you live in El Paso? And how long would it take for drug gangs to bring in the weapons that they need to protect that extremely valuable property that they have there. They'd be ending up bringing them in at the same time. And so, you know, a, a major source of illegal drugs and uh, guns in the United States are drug gangs. They have guns. They have to have guns to protect their valuable property. And if they can make money selling guns just as they can make money selling drugs, they're going to do it. But it's difficult to stop uh, criminals from getting guns in the United States is it is to stop criminals from being able to go and obtain illegal drugs. If you think we've been successful in stopping people from getting illegal drugs, you know, great. <laughs> but I, I think, uh, you know, most people realize uh, that that's not unfortunately the case. Yeah, unfortunately, that is not reality. John Arlott, president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, uh, is all over it. All of these gun grabs, whether it be in California or anywhere else around the country, John is uh, one of the leading fighters for your Second Amendment rights. John, I appreciate that very much. I appreciate you coming on. Keep us posted with uh, changes in that particular story and anything else you think we need to know. Okay, my friend? Well, thank you. Well, people can find more on our website at crimeresearch.org, crimeresearch.org. But thanks for being there, and Happy New Year. Same to you. Thank you, John Lott. CrimeResearch.org. There you go. I highly recommend that. All right. It's uh, 1051. We'll take a time out. We're guest-free the rest of the way, which means no one is in your way. 216-901-0945. If you want to react to that, if you want to react to 
uh, the interview we did with Robin Lundstrom and the uh, overriding of the governor's veto. There's going to be a vote or a session on uh, uh, one week from today on January. God's forgiveness and begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Call 888-NEED-HIM. That's 888-NEED-HIM. All right, 1055. So we've got about an hour together at 216-901-0945. So we'll take your calls and whatever it is that's on your mind. But speaking of the uh, border, I asked uh, John Lott, obviously, about guns being trafficked across the border the way drugs are trafficked across the border. I've I've got a few maps here, and I know this is radio, so it doesn't work very well, but I can describe to you what these are, and I'm going to do it in the next hour. As we continue to suffer through the surrender of American sovereignty by our current presidential administration, um, and we are in a, in a year now entering into maybe the most crucial year in the history of the republic. And I know that's saying something, considering we've been through world wars, we went through the Civil War, uh, mass riots, 9-11, Pearl Harbor. This, this year, the year 2024, could be... Maybe the most pivotal, how about that, pivotal or crucial year in our history, because we are going to either retain sovereignty and the republic or regain it, or we're going to lose it forever. I've got maps that are detailing the mass illegal migration routes, blueprints, that are being put out in every country in the world, but most specifically in uh, Central and Latin America, for traveled up to and through Mexico and into the United States. And every one of these maps and handouts that are being provided all across Central America and South America, they're all being handed out by NGOs, non-governmental organizations, which are playing an oversized, powerful role in coordinating this, this invasion of now close to 10 million illegals in just the three years of the Biden administration. I can't show you maps on the radio, but I can describe what I see, and you're going to understand the depth of this 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 problem and this danger. It's it, it it's quite something to behold, and it's something that again is either going to be solved in this calendar year, or we are going to lose the republic forever. And I'm sorry, I'm not prone to hyperbole, but I really believe that to be the case. Randy is is in uh, Berea. Randy, thanks for waiting. You're on AM 1420. The answer. Go ahead. Yeah. Good morning, Bob. Hey, um, I think DeWine has a hidden agenda with respect to the veto. I think he knew all along that the legislator is going to override his veto, but he wanted to curry favor with the left. So he, deep down, I think he was against it, but he vetoed it, knowing that the legislator was going to override it. Why? Why would he? He's in. Uh, I think he's. I think he has said it publicly, hasn't he? That he. You know, this is the last job he will hold you know he's been in he's been in so many different public offices uh you know he's done he's retiring after this term he's term limited out why does he care if he gets to curry favor with the left well i think it's all about his legacy and you know even after these politicians retire they still want to be in the limelight they want to be on boards and you know of certain institutions and companies mm-hmm. so i think he's playing the long game on this he deep down he knows the Legislature is going to veto this or override his veto, and he wants to ensure his legacy for after he's done with the governorship. 
And you know the inter- and thank you, Andy, for the call and for your answer to that tough question. Um, appreciate that. The interesting part about it is, typically speaking, executives, presidents, and governors, they don't like their legacy being stained with veto overrides. They don't like that. That looks bad for them. Typically speaking, if they're concerned about their legacy, if you veto something and the the legislature comes right back over the top against you and telling you how wrong you are with a, with a veto-proof... Rep.org. That's the set. Rep.org. Make sure and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, we move on. Excuse me. At eight minutes after 11 o'clock on this Wednesday, the third morning of the first month in the year of our Lord, 2024. If I've already said 2023, you know that's going to happen. It's just the way it is, at least for the first few days of January. But I got it right this time. And that's all that matters. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will get you here, which is where you need to be. So, by the way, I just, I've got two stories on this immigration issue. I brought up immigration only with John Lott. We were talking about guns and gun control. I brought up immigration only because the fact that our border is open. We no longer have an actual border. It is completely unmolested uh, by uh, by uh, Border Patrol agents who have any job whatsoever uh, having to do with uh, repelling the invasion. They simply welcome them in like Walmart greeters as they come through the door, because that is what they've been ordered to do by the Biden administration. But anyway, they're bringing with them human beings. They're doing, you know, human being trafficking. They're doing drug trafficking. And I believe they're doing gun trafficking as well. Black market weapons in the United States um, are a huge problem. But if you look it up, this is the reason I asked John Lott. If you look it up, gun smuggling across the border, it is more in the other direction, according to all of the media on this. Uh, Guns being smuggled down into Mexico and arming things like the Mexican drug cartels and so forth. And so that's the reason I asked the question, but it brought up the issue of the porous southern border, which, again, is completely open. And it made me want to bring two things to your attention. One is the NGOs that I mentioned a few moments ago that are providing blueprints for this massive invasion to continue. A network of NGOs, non-governmental organizations, are playing a huge role in coordinating this invasion. There's a new website called Muckraker. 
which has revealed a treasure trove of mass migration blueprints handed out by these non-governmental organizations with an intent to literally infiltrate the United States with enough individuals to take it down. Um, Across South and Central America, two illegals with details about the route. I'm going to give you a couple of examples here. Several maps handed out by these NGOs across South and Central America, the detail routes to take to get to the United States. Routes are, are displayed from, uh, from uh, Panama to Mexico. Routes that show uh, the back showing routes across Mexico to get into the United States. Another map distributed by the United Nations International Organization of Migration, again, an NGO, that shows the various commissions and consulates across the country of Mexico that will aid them in their travels through Mexico and up to the United States. Map 3, distributed by the NGO Amigos del Tren, Friends of the Train in English. This NGO aids illegal aliens in riding the train of death, also known as La Bestia, which is a freight train that U.S.-bound illegal um, uh, aliens ride on top of to reach the border. You may have seen videos of that. The front show the front of the map shows the train routes across the country of Mexico. The back listing numerous hostels that can be found along the tra- the train routes, uh, where people can stay and uh, take breaks in their travel to the United States. Um, let's see. The fourth map was distributed by the Red Cross, showing and again they they argue that this is just simple you know human decency. We're just trying to help these people, help them you know not suffer in uh, you know in their in their travels to the United States. We're trying to give them medical care and food and water and so forth. The front of the map <clears throat> distributed by the Red Cross shows freight train routes across Mexico, similar to the other one. But it lists 80 different stops from Panama to the United States. The back gives advice on navigating the mass migration trail. One piece of advice is given to how to safely ride a freight train. Advised to avoid riding the train if, quote, you are under the influence of alcohol, drugs, or medication that can make you drowsy because that would be too dangerous for you. Believe it or not, these these are real. Um, the fifth one is distributed by R4V, which is refugees and migrants from Venezuela. The front shows the migration routes across the country of Ecuador. The back shows the distance and transit, transit times between Ecuadorian cities. It goes on and on and on. These are all NGOs, organizations committed to the invasion and infiltration of America. These are being distributed across countries that we fund with aid, with food, with money. And, and, and literally, they take our money and they use it to produce maps that are then given to their people to leave their country and come into the United States and then take more of our money soaking up all of our resources and repatriating money back to the country that sent them. I want you to ponder what that sounds like. Really grasp that. They're taking our money, using it to send their people to the United States where they can earn more of our money and then send it back to the blank hole countries they just came from. And these NGOs are engineering all of it. Because they all have the same goal of a borderless society, one in which the United States of America does not have its own sovereignty. 
and can no longer claim any kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, superiority to any of the, uh, the, the world's other developed nations or underdeveloped nations, for that matter. It is simply incomprehensible. The second story on the border I want to give you real quick before I go to a call is this article by The Atlantic. There's an article by The Atlantic that was introduced in a tweet. The, head, the headline of the article is The Specter of Family Separation. The tweet reads, Trump and his allies have promised <clears throat> that a second term would include the largest deportation effort in American history, the end of birthright citizenship, and a restoration of child separation. They're posting that as if it's some kind of a negative thing. And all I can think of is... Can you dig it? Yes! You're diggity-doggone right that is what we are promising. If it's a Trump term or if it's a DeSantis term, we're going to get the same thing. And that is the, the, the re-securing of the border... A massive deportation, at least we hope we can get that from a second Trump term. We didn't get massive deportation in his first term. Not at all. Barack Obama deported far more uh, illegals from the United States than President Trump did. I hope this would be a an improvement on his first term. He did more to secure the border, but in terms of deporting those who are already here, very poor. Very poor. But he has promised now the largest deportation ever if he is reelected. Uh, and yes, at the end of birthright citizenship, so that no more uh, anchor babies can be dropped here. And then, of course, they well, in the interest of of you know family unification, we got to bring their parents here as well. This is an American citizen after all. And again, they're calling it the return of family separation. If the family separation is caused by arresting illegal alien adults and then having to separate them from their children because you can't take children into prisons, then that is exactly what you have to do. So yes, Atlantic. President Trump and conservative Republicans, whether it's Trump or DeSantis or anybody else, we are all going to be pushing for exactly what you call draconian zero-tolerance immigration policies. Because right now, we have zero-enforcement immigration policies under Joe Biden, and our nation is dying. That is not an overstatement. That is not hyperbole. That is a reality. Our nation is dying under the policies of Joseph R. Biden. So if we can do the exact reverse of those policies and make our nation live again, that is something that I absolutely want to celebrate. So please, keep pushing these. Keep promoting these scare tactics. Because all you're doing is telling even Democrats is that there is a light at the end of this massive invasion tunnel. And that light comes from electing a Republican president. All right, let's go to... um, Flakewood, Charlie, the aforementioned politically incorrect pledge of America, pledge of allegiance, uh, American patriot, uh, Charlie, the PIM. How you doing, Charlie? Good morning, Bob. I don't mean to hijack your show uh, this morning. <laughs> but, no, I uh, loved it. I loved uh, it. Thank you for posting I, that picture on Facebook of yourself. Of course, I love it. Of course, uh, I, I, and I, I, I don't mean to steer away from the, uh, the immigration issue because that's a serious topic, and it sounds like they're using American taxpayer dollars to fund 
uh, things are being used for child trafficking, among other things. They absolutely uh, are. We fund the Red Cross. We fund, we fund so many right. of those United Nations organizations that are actually steering these people here. We are our own money is used being used to 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 invade us. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. But uh, the reason I want to call this morning is because uh, my my uh, my ears lit up uh, this morning when when TJ was was talking uh, about the wasp spray and. Uh, uh, TJ, I love you. I love when you call in. Uh, I'd love to meet you someday, but I got to push back on you a little bit on this one. Oh. There's there's three three big myths uh, when it comes to self defense. One, uh, don't drag the body into the house over, over the threshold if you shot the guy outside. Uh, two is that uh, using the phrase, um, I I was in fear for my life because it's the direct verbiage of the way the laws are often written. So you want to say something like, I knew that I was going to die, uh, or, you know, or something to that effect, not quote the law, because then you're going to trip the officer's spidey sense. Mm-hmm. But the, other, the, the one that's really bad here is, is the, the whole wasp spray thing, um, because you're, you're, it's not designed or intended for using on humans. It's for using on wasps. And... It could cause seriously bodily bodily injury um, through scarring and disfigurement, and under the rules of self self defense, by doing that and causing potential serious bodily injury, you're opening yourself up to not only criminal prosecution and civil lawsuits through that, but that could be used to justify lethal force against you, because you don't need to be. You know, trying to kill well, if, somebody. If I, heard, if I heard him right, uh, Charlie, if I heard him right, he wasn't talking about using it in an in an offensive way. He was using it as a defensive measure that rather than I, shooting I, somebody I under, who's attacking I, you, spray them with something, make it less lethal. Right. I I understand that, but the but the problem is, if you're going to do that, then you need to use something that's intended for that purpose, like pepper spray, not wasp spray, because then the tables will get turned on you. It'd be like it'd be like you're in the process of getting robbed, and the guy goes to leave. Now he's no longer a threat, and now you start shooting at him. Now, and he turns around and shoots you back. He's the one that's in the right at that point. It, it's it's a similar manner here. And the, and as far as getting arrested and stuff like that, and you shoot somebody, yeah, you're probably going to get arrested. But thanks to the Castle Doctrine, first of all, you're immune. If if you sh- if you maim or kill somebody while that person is in the commission of a felony, you are immune. From prosecute, I'm sorry, from civil lawsuit by anybody of that person's family or that person if they're still alive. So the whole notion of being sued civilly after the fact, again, as long as it was a just, justified, you know, good shoot and everything, you're protected under the Castle Doctrine from 2008. Also, that so just that, just hold on a second. Marrying those two things yeah. together, <clears throat> marrying those things two two things together. If he is is defending himself against somebody in the commission of a felony and uses whatever is nearby, including a can of waft spray, wouldn't he wouldn't he have the same protection? Because I feel like I feel like I feel like if 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 the only thing I've got nearby is a cast iron skillet and I brain somebody right. who's drawn on me and 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 I hit him first as a, in a, in a, in a, in a self defensive measure because he was pulling a gun on me or in the commission of a felony, as you say. I, I don't care if it's a can of wasp spray or a frying pan. Like I said, um, I'm going to be justified in self-defense. Am I not? If, if that's if, if you can prove that that was the only thing you had at your disposal, uh, then then you you probably have a chance. But would you put it past some 
prosecutor and 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 you know to to take a chance like that you're better off carrying your concealed handgun everywhere you can legally and being ready in that way because now your 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 tools are designed for you're using the tools that are designed for that purpose yeah it sucks to say you're gonna have to shoot somebody but when it comes down to either them or you then you know i find that it makes it a lot easier to sleep at night and be alive see i i I don't i mean i i'm not trying to dispute you any more than you're trying to dispute tj but i'm just trying to understand it more than anything charlie um guy guy wakes up in the middle of the night plan no, I know. But what I'm trying to say is, guy wakes up in the middle of the night, hears an intruder, doesn't have a gun, has a has a driver, uh, or has a Louisville mm-hmm. Slugger. Um, those are not, sure. Yeah, those are not made for. The one is made to hit a golf ball. The other is made to hit a baseball. But if I use it to hit a guy who's committing a felony, wouldn't I? Wouldn't I be just as protected under that circumstance as if I had a nine and I shot him? Right. I mean, it doesn't I, matter. I, I suppose so. But I'm also speaking from attorney advice and case law um when it when it comes to specifically the wasp spray okay because it, i mean if you look on the side of the can it says you know could cause blindness mm-hmm. uh and if you blind somebody that's permanent disfigurement uh and bodily injury so now yeah but your glock your glock turned. can cause your glock can cause more than blindness it can cause deafness but <laughs> but it's intent, right? But that's what it's intended for, as a self-defense tool. Where Wasprey is not intended for that. That's where yeah, the I, that's I, where I, the I mean, again, I'm, I'm, is. I mean, I'm 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 not a lawyer, and and you're talking about legal advice. All I'm saying yeah. is, in a defense, in a self-defensive exercise, anything that I want is to, to protect myself that is available to me ought to be just as legal as anything else. If it's if it's a barbecue fork. And I put it in his forehead. It wasn't intended for that, but I intended it for that because I had to save my life. If it's a, you know, if like I said, if it's a bat, if it's a, if I happen to be making a pot of ma- or macaroni and cheese, and I got scalding water on the stove, and if I hit him with it, is it going to cause permanent disfigurement and blister him and bu- bur- uh, burn his skin? Yeah, it is. Should I be able to do that if it's trying to save my life just as much as if I had, you know, had a, a sidearm? Yeah, right. I mean, I kind of feel like all of those things, wasp spray, boiling water, uh, barbecue forks, you name it, ought to be okay in in a castle doctrine self-defense scenario, right? Well, and and that's what I'm saying. If it's it's something that is the only thing you had at the time, you know, like a kitchen knife, for example, right? Yeah, there you go. Same same idea. If that's all you had at your disposal at the time, but but the but but the way the way I took this was that you know he's basically saying. Telling people, you know, instead of getting uh, uh, pepper spray and keeping that with you, that you should keep wasp spray with you instead. And yeah. by doing that, and you know, when there's other uh, available tools that now are intended that, yeah, for that, that purpose, makes sense. That makes sense. That's, what you're that's saying where there. that's why yeah. I, that's what I'm trying to avoid. People people walking around with cans of wasp spray or putting putting it all over their house. Yeah. It's not going to look good. Yeah, I mean, as um, a last def- as a last line of defense, if all you have is what you have near you, then what do what you got to do to protect yourself, right? But you're saying, right, don't, don't make that don't make that your plan of action. Don't make exactly. That, you know, I'm gonna. This is what this. Yeah, is the I appreciate of- you helping me 
Got it. Get it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wanted to understand it. So, I know you know what you're talking so, about, but like I said, I just wanted to make sure we got it. We got it out there. And the burden of proof. The burden of proof now, uh, after 2008, uh, which would have been nice for when I had my thing in 2007. But uh, the burden of proof now, when it comes to a self-defense situation, is on the prosecutor. Before they charge you, they basically have to be able to show that they can make their case. You don't have to do anything. And that's how it, that's how it should be yes. with every crime. Yes. You know, you shouldn't Absolutely. have to go in there and prove your innocence. And, and believe it or not, that's how it was up until to, all the way up to 2008 in the state of Ohio. So people are the, the chances of you being charged and prosecuted are a lot less in a self-defense situation because that was getting people killed because they were afraid to defend themselves with lethal force because of the legal ramifications that they looked at facing. And now the tables are turned in that regard. So that was another thing I wanted to bring up because I don't want to scare a bunch of people saying, oh, you're going to go to jail if you shoot somebody. And, you know, they tried that with me and they lost. And now it's a lot harder for them to even put for for charges, let alone. But you will go to jail. You'll be questioned. And then, in all likelihood, if you did everything correctly and trained properly, you'll be released shortly after. And that'll be the end of it. There you go. Charlie, my friend, it's good to hear from you. Keep up the great... 18. Thank you for finally noticing. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer... Okay, 1135, final segment this morning. <clears throat> Get a few more phone calls in here, see what else you want to talk about at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Charlie, uh, another Charlie, not the politically incorrect mechanic, but Charlie from Brownell. Hey, Charlie, good to have you back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Bob. Thanks for taking the call. Yes, sir. And boy, do I learn a lot on your show. I'm definitely going to invest in uh, RAID defense products. <laughs> that's, that's, the next, that's the next thing. Yeah, so, maybe it is. <laughs> you learn so much. So, hey, I'm listening to some of your guests, and one of them say, said this to House Bill 68. They, the men can compete with against women if they've gone through the surgery and had years, and I think that encourages people to do it. it you know, if they want to be in the sport, you better start young. I don't think that's you know, the case. Where, 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 where did, where did well, you hear that part? There was a caveat that she said it, the only way a man is if he's already gone through the mm-hmm. it was There was a caveat. But what I'm thinking is back in the 60, 1968 Olympics, 72 Olympics, they went after the East Germans, and they and they tested their, their uh, not their hormones, but their uh, chromosomes. And that, that would solve it. You just say you have to have double X to be in this sport. You have to have X, Y to be in, and that, and just test everybody. Who cares about hormones or or surgery? Just chromosome. Yeah, I so I I, I believe I believe the safe act that we're talking about here um, just is period point blank. Just what you said. They may not like quote test your chromosomes, but whatever your your gender is when you are born, that is what you have to participate in. You can't you can't change it. What I did say yesterday, <clears throat> Charlie is that um, USA Boxing is about to allow males to fight against females uh, in the uh, you know Olympic teams and Olympic trials. And they have to have gone all the way through the surgery. They can't just be you know, like Leah Thomas, who swam <clears throat> against Riley Gaines and the other girls, or the girls but, in the pool. But don't you think that encourages uh, people to have the surgery? It, 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 I think it's the wrong mm-hmm. edit. It should be about chromosomes and not about 
uh, outward appearance. No, no I, I, I don't think. I think it. No, I. To answer your question, I think it's a terrible idea. I don't think anybody who is born a male should ever, whether they have a surgery or not, be allowed to compete in sports against females, particularly those that are um, physical in nature, meaning uh, vi- uh, violence. You know, wrestling, um, uh, MMA, boxing, things, right. rugby, field hockey, even basketball. Anything where you crash into other people. The, the the male bodies are not intended to you know to do that against uh, you know against female bodies and I don't care right, if they have surgeries claw, or not. Claw this back for our culture. We're mm-hmm. we're losing our culture if we don't claw this all back. It's ridiculous, crazy thinking that somehow these uh, you know, progressives have, uh, have hoisted on us. But we've got to say no. We've got to stop it. You know, stop competing if that's what it takes. Yeah. You know, you know, I keep thinking, and I'm hoping, I, I, it's just hoping, and thank you for the call, Charlie, that we will go past this. We will eventually rid ourselves of this very bizarre, you know, period in American and in human history. And that, again, 50 years from now or 100 years from now or whatever, people are going to look back to the 2020s as the time when men tried to become women and women tried to become men. And they tried to literally convince people that males whose bodies are designed to produce sperm somehow could get pregnant as if their bodies were designed to produce eggs and that they had a uterus. I mean, all of the insanity that we are experiencing right now is just that. And I feel like, not that I'll be around to see it, but future generations uh, of people and of school books and of history and so forth is going to look back at this and judge us very, very harshly that we were the era of people that lived through that that period of insanity and in fact fought for it and defended it and 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 tried to expand upon it in the most radical ways possible that we will look back at this and just and just say man this culture just took a really really bad turn for whatever period of time this is going to be i can hope against hope that it's a short period of time rather than a long one but um we'll see that's what we're fighting tony is in uh, parma yeah, hi, Bob. Uh, thank you for taking the call. Uh, this concerns the immigration. Recently, Texas passed uh, some legislation making it actually illegal to be illegal in Texas. Um, and um, I well, what it does, what it does it is, is it it allows Texas law enforcement agents to arrest people who are here illegally. So I mean, it's yeah. already been illegal, but 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 it did. Law enforcement prior to this new law that was signed by Greg Abbott, law enforcement didn't have the right to arrest people simply for being discovered here illegally. Now they do have that right, and the feds are of course trying to sue them to stop it. Okay, but can we push on our state politicians to do something similar? Um, my state rep, Ohio rep, is a Democrat. Mm-hmm. And uh, our, uh, my senator, I believe, is also a Democrat. And I have sent, uh, I sent a couple of emails to uh, one of them was the majority whip and somebody else. I never got any answers back trying to see if they would do this. Um, and a long time ago, I called in about the NGOs, and you spent about an hour on that, so I'm well aware of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to do something. We have to protect the state of Ohio from this that's going on. This is so terrible. It, it is just unbelievable. But somebody like me 
we have like no say. They're not going to listen to us. But maybe somebody like you, when you talk to these Ohio politicians, put a bug in their ear. Maybe they'll put uh, uh, some um, uh, legislation together that these illegals um, won't be welcome here. We ha- If I was a millionaire, I'd put billboards up all over the place. Illegals are not welcome here. I'm also a shooter a big-time shooter. Some of the stuff, there is not enough time to go into that now, but some of the stuff that you were talking about, I highly Mm -hmm. suggest you shooters out there to carry a gun, you get the insurance, and there's a lot of training you have to go through. If you shoot somebody, but you don't talk to the cops, you get a lawyer. But that's a very long conversation. But some of the stuff that was talked about and shooting is incorrect. Maybe another time we'll go into that. But this immigration thing, Mr. France, is just so important. We, these people are going to, the crime, they're going to riot. They're going to kill us. They're brought here to kill us. They're brought here to destroy us. Maybe we can strengthen the state of Ohio. Please, if you talk to these politicians, see what you can do. Well, I'll tell you this. Thank you, Tony, for the call. I'll tell you this. Um, <clears throat> I believe that a an extraordinary large percentage of the massive migration that is coming into this country now and all of these caravans being uh, military-age males, healthy, well-fed, they don't look like they're fleeing starvation or fleeing persecution when they claim their fo- make their phony asylum claims. I believe those people are here to do exactly what you just said. Not everybody who is trying to come to this country is here to kill us and rob us and maim us and all the other things you just just described. But there is a significant portion of them that I just pointed out I agree with. Others who are here just because they hate their own existing existing country because they know that America provides, you know, it's the land of opportunity. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.